everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm your host, Eric Quanstrom, the CMO at Science. Today's interview, a really fun one. I got a chance to speak with Blake Hudson, and Blake has ample experience in the sales development space. He's uh, formerly led teams at companies like Tapcart, Victory Lab, um, Pero.io. But what you're really going to hear come through in the interview is some of the wisdom that, that Blake has accumulated over the years. And he comes at problems from, frankly, a, a really great angle and is a very deep thinker. And you're going to find that a lot of his philosophies, a lot of his communication style is worth emulating and worth listening to. So we, we talk a little bit because it's very timely and, and kind of of the moment especially around interviews and interview scenarios. Um, so for new SDRs who are interviewing interviewing for new roles um, or SDR leaders when they're conducting interviews, uh, Blake has some great advice on the reframe. And I'll let you listen for that and, and kind of what that is. We also go very deep on you know the philosophy of to being an effective or could, to do effective sales development really requires kind of an investigative journalism mindset. And this was near and dear to my heart and something that, that we had a, a great conversation around. Um, also, one thing that any longtime listener knows uh, all too well is how much of a fan I am, and, and turns out Blake is too, of the ADA model. And so we unpack that and we talk through its applicability to sales development and prospecting. And again, Blake is subject matter expert here and has a, a lot of really insightful commentary. So without further ado, I'm going to let you guys get to it. Um, here is Blake Hudson. And we're back with Blake Hudson. And Blake, you, um, you know, I think one of the interesting places to start this interview is really around kind of, as we are taping this, it's in Q2 of 2023. You've recently left your um, sales development, you know, kind of like leadership role over at Tapcart and are in the process of you know, essentially discovering the next new great adventure. But one of the ways that you're attacking that problem is with a lot of kind of like subject matter expertise around things like interviewing, things like clearly communicating or, you know, helping uh, brand oneself. So I'd love to kind of like just jump in with both feet into both how that is for you personally, and then what you're recommending <laughs> to others along those lines. Well, thank you for having me, Eric. This has been a long time coming, and I'm glad we were able to finally make this work. Uh, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm kind of in between things, but really not. You know, the, I'm so grateful for this moment because it, it reminded me of a, a mantra I used to tell myself whenever I'd feel lost or confused about what was next in my life or career. And that was help where you've hurt. Mm -hmm. And I myself have experienced the, the trials and tribulations, the difficulties of transitioning roles, careers, um, being able to sell yourself well, creating a personal brand, and obviously being a leader. And so, you know, while I may or may not have a title at a company or something like that, at the end of the day, I'm someone who's trying to serve. And that's what the heart of leadership is. So I've got this concept I'm building called story selling. Really excited about it because it allows me to speak to 
a variety of experiences that people are going through, particularly SDRs. Um, but at the heart of it, it's about helping people develop confidence internally and be able to communicate with confidence externally. Do you, do you find, especially with your own experience in hiring SDRs, so put you on the kind of the management side of the fence, that that's one of the big um, struggle points for what are oftentimes very new, very green, very beginning, kind of like their own career um, inherent to the SDR role? It's not just SDRs. Yes, oh. is the short answer, but <laughs> yeah. SDRs, I was an admissions counselor, uh, college uh -huh. students, politicians, parents, the whole nine yards. Like anybody that's trying to communicate and move or prompt someone else to action is going to have to navigate these things. And no one's perfect at it. And honestly, expertise is relative. You know, we're all experts if, you know, we're talking about tying our shoes to a toddler. Like that's, you're an expert. But um, being able to help people get one step better is the key there. Yes, short answer. That's it's a struggle for folks. I had 300 interviews with SDRs last year, and um, knowing what I know and knowing what I know now, especially after those conversations, um, it's a need, and it's one that's yeah. understandable. I, I don't fault anyone for it because it's hard to learn these things. There's no interviewing 101 class in college. At least I didn't have that. And I went to a great school. So shout out to <laughs> University of Illinois, <laughs> <laughs> the Illini. Um, so of those third. 300 interviews, what are some of the big kind of like, oh man, if I could have only taught you areas of improvement, those one step closer to being better interviews, what would you advise? So without uh, giving too, too much of the way of the course, but in a way plugging it, um, I'll be coming yeah, out with a new course next week, uh, story selling. And the first and foremost thing is understanding that you have to reframe the way you're looking at interviews. So I'll go through a couple of different things that can help people. Um, a lot of candidates, as they're going through interviews, they don't understand the real power dynamics at place. They think they are at the mercy of the interviewer. I'm just happy to be here, hopefully get a job. My fate is in their hands. Well, they have a problem too. I don't know if you know this or not, but hiring is hard. And finding the right fit is something that's very difficult to do. And you, as a candidate, are the solution to that problem. That simple thing alone can help you go into an interview with confidence and present yourself in a different way. From there, once you have reframed interviews and understand that, hey, they have a problem, I am the solution, then you can get into stories. And stories and narrative is as old as humanity. It's, it's the way we communicate, and it's the most persuasive way to communicate. Um, think about the greatest stories, movies you've ever heard. It's so easy to recall because it's just such a neat and succinct way to present information. So you can leverage that in your interviews. First and foremost, you have to develop your story, right? So we talk about reframing, we talk about the power of stories. The third thing is how do you capture your story? Mm. And looking inward, the introspective aspect of an interview is something that is highly underrated. When you're in an interview, you are selling you. Yep. And you wouldn't go into any sales job and just start selling something that you don't understand. And what's really ironic to me, and again, having done 300 interviews last year, been in a thousand interviews in my career in a variety of careers, um, people don't do the research on the thing that matters the most, themselves. You talk about researching the company, the culture, your interviewer, uh, the process, the tech stack, all those things are great. But at the end of the day, if you don't understand who you are, 
you're missing out on a wonderful opportunity. And so that's a that's a matter of taking values and experiences and skills and ups and downs. Vulnerability and authenticity have a really important role to play in interviews. So once you capture that and you have a clear and succinct story, then you can begin selling yourself well. And I don't want to get into all of the nuances in this answer, but essentially it's being able to communicate and convey your story in a clear, concise, and compelling fashion. When you have that tight and succinct, it shows first and foremost in your tell me about yourself, but every answer there and after is, is a short, small little vignette of that answer. And then lastly is just making sure that you're prepared. And so I've got this interview cheat sheet that's totally free. You can go to my website or my LinkedIn profile and download it. But essentially, it's you just taking everything we just talked about and putting it on paper and having it ahead of time, maybe even having it during your interview. But just that act alone of knowing I have a game plan, I have a message, I know how I'm going to sell this. And just in case I forget, it's here on my cheat sheet. You go into an interview with so much more confidence, most importantly, you go in there ready to do what's actually happening. And that is you selling you. Yeah, I love that. I mean, if you don't know where you're going, anywhere will take you there, right? <laughs> or you just go somewhere that you don't want to be. <laughs> so yeah, you, right? could, you could travel That's on a road. I don't know if the destination is where you want to be, but. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love the fact that you're you're talking first about shifting the power dynamics. I oftentimes say to people, in fact, when we run these campaigns, we call them hiring campaigns for our own SDRs especially when, you know, we see other companies hiring SDRs. <laughs> what a great and wonderful gift of a public declaration of need <laughs> by a company, you know, because I, I oftentimes love to have our, our own SDRs kind of have the light bulb moment come on where it was like, well, you're seeing this job post. What had to happen before that got there? Hmm. Well, the company needed to recognize that need themselves. Then they needed to formalize the need. Then they needed to quantify the need, create a job description, perhaps throw it onto an org chart, figure out how they were going to pay for that need, you know, get all these things kind of like stacked and backed into what finally represents as public posting on LinkedIn, Glassdoor, Indeed, what have you. Um, and so it, it is interesting that the power dynamic is always, not always, but often lost on people. Like they never asked themselves what had to happen before me sitting here. <laughs> and that's the heart of a bigger problem, which is just perspective taking. Yeah. I don't know why it's so difficult early on. Um, I think not to go, you know, in my psychology, but like when you're a kid growing up, you view things naturally from your point of view. Yeah. And depending on your upbringing, depending on your social environment, that is reinforced on a daily basis. The world is from my point of view. And what I found is that to have true success in this world, no matter what you do, even if you work with things and not people, ultimately, people are going to interact with it. And so mm -hmm. being able to look at things from someone else's perspective is a game changer. And yeah. to your point, going through an interview process, I, I talked to a recruiter today, like I'm one of many conversations she has to have. Thank you for your time. Right. The questions I ask, I don't want to just ask something rote. She's got to answer the same five questions all day long. How can I ask something new that's exciting? Two things happen. Number one, it gives her a new experience, makes her job a little bit more exciting. And two, I stand out as a candidate because that's memorable. It's a, it's a pattern interrupt. It's the thing that separates or deviates from the, from the norm. And so perspective taking in general is something that will put you ahead of your peers. And um, to go off on a little bit of tangent, just 
really quickly, this is an example of bridging. I talk about this in my course. It's something I learned in politics, right? So you asked me this question. Now I want to pivot here a little bit. So when you're in a SDR role, the way I like to think about it is that you're an investigative journalist. Mm. A lot of sellers, they try and just put their product or their solution in front of the customer in hopes that that'll work. Well, really, you're just kind of throwing stuff at a wall. Even if you have clearly defined ICPs and personas, you're still just hoping it's the right time, right place. But an investigative journalist goes deeper and you start to understand what is their story. How can I take their perspective into account? And then once you have that, you can insert your product, your solution uh, in a way that makes sense, in a way that helps them you know, advance and progress in their story. And so all that to say, take in the perspective of others. It's going to serve you in life. It's going to serve you in work and everywhere in between. Boy, I could not agree more. And, and I'm not just saying this because my uh, undergrad degree was in journalism. <laughs> and no, we didn't plan this. I but, did not know. <laughs> <laughs> but I so love that idea of being an investigative journalist, because here's the other tru- the truism that I know about SDR work, having been in and around it for quite a while now. Um, people do things for their own reasons, less so yours. Right. So... <laughs> When, when you can learn what, what anyone's doing today, what is their status quo? What are their challenges? How might they want to improve or, you know, save money or fix a need, you know, solve a problem? Like, those are the reasons that people say yes to meetings, to book appointments, you know, less so the, the, the features and benefits vomit that is so common in what I would call the the people that are not embracing that investigative journalist point of view. I remember when I I went through, I was fortunate to go through a tech sales bootcamp and how I navigated my career. I was an admissions counselor, which is sales. If you don't know, Um, they have quotas too. They just don't always get paid like sellers. So hence the transition in tech sales. And one of the things that just captured me was there's always going to be something I don't know. And I went and I joined a, fi- a fintech company. And my, my logic was, if I can sell this thing that I am not comfortable with, I don't research it in my spare time, then that proves to me that I know how to sell. And yep. so I went into this role and I'm like, okay, there's, there's always something I don't know. But what do I know? I know how to be a human. I know how to be curious. I know how to try and understand where this other person is coming from. And so... You know, for me and for any SDR, I would really encourage you to think about questions. Questions are so important in life. First and foremost, questions are the building blocks of conversation. Without questions, you just have monologues and nobody wants to listen to that all day. And the, the, the quality of answers you receive in life is directly proportional to the quality of questions you ask. I'll give you an example. Say you're in front of the wisest person in the world, right? And you go up to them and you ask, hey, what, what color is the sky? You're going to get a very short and simple answer, right? Yeah. And so thinking about the questions you ask, and, and it's you know, a big point uh, now for like prompt engineering. People are thinking about AI and chat GPT. I like to think myself a great prompt engineer because I just ask good questions. And going two and three layers deep in your questions is really essential. So I just, yeah, I want to encourage people to think deeply about questions. Become a questionologist, you know, study, study questions. and. And you'll find that you get really great answers in life. Well, I really love where you're taking this conversation because I couldn't agree more that 
that prompt engineering is a series of like, how do I get this wise tool that's, you know, studied under what, 170 billion parameters of, <laughs> of inputs into its large learning model? You know, how do I pull out of that something usable? And that's essentially what a prompt is, is asking really good questions, isn't it? That's right. That's right. When we think about applicability of that to sales development, what are your thoughts, especially related to where you think the trend line is going? Well, I think obviously tools are going to become much greater part of the SDR's role. Um, one thing I would caution people against is thinking that the tools are going to replace the human elements of a role. Tools enhance humanity. They don't replace it. And so when you have an opportunity to interact with a customer or a potential customer, yeah, you might have more information than you had before. Yeah, you might have been able to pull some some uh, intent data from how they visited your website. That's all great, but really those are just clues. And going back to the journalism metaphor, it's like there's facts and you know your job is to try and put them in an order that makes sense. And so when you go and you call someone, lead with curiosity, you know, lead with empathy. I, I'm sorry, I call you at a bad time, right? You may be in the middle of changing diapers, right? But, so it's not, it's not always you. Sometimes it's something outside of you. And uh, the last thing I'll say is I think a big thing for SDRs moving forward is depersonalizing themselves or detaching themselves from the outcome. That's not a new thing, but I think it's going to become even more impactful as people, I don't know, are tuned off to some of the traditional forms of outreach. You think about phone calls today. I'm not saying cold calls dead. Cold calling is dead, but it's different than it was 20 years ago. For even sure. 10, even five. Yeah. So being able to understand that it's not about me in this situation that takes the pressure off. It puts the focus on the prospect and then detaching yourself from outcomes allows you to truly sell, which is service. It's positioning a solution to a clearly understood problem. There's so many things that, that branch off of that, but I guess the, the long and short answer to this question is being able to detach yourself from the process and depersonalize things that you experience. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, <clears throat> speaking of personalization, though, and and even like where we kind of started this conversation around the brand, I'm curious to get your thoughts on brand SDR, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's so many scenarios where who is reaching out to me, especially when I'm on the buy side or being prospect dead, um, that the who matters. And I'm I'm curious to get like, Blake's opinion on how much personal branding an SDR should be engaging in. What are some of the steps if, if the answer is quite a lot? <laughs> um, and, and how do you think about that essentially equation? I'm really glad you brought that up because full disclosure, if anyone's listened to me on another podcast, that's actually my answer to like the future of SDR and in sales in general. I think I tried to really narrow in on SDRs in that last question, but Personal brand, I think, is going to be key to sales moving forward because it's, as you just mentioned, it's not just what you're buying, but who you're buying it from. Mm -hmm. So if I were talking to a new SDR about personal branding, even what it is and how to go about it, first thing I'm going to ask them is what is the outcome you're seeking? More importantly, what is the outcome of your audience? And so for me, my personal brand journey started when I went back to the, the, the boot camp I went through 
And I was then working at it and selling it. And I was so grateful for my experience with that program that I then wanted to help invite other people into it. And so whether one person liked it, a thousand, a million, it didn't matter because I was inviting one person into that new reality. And I do public speaking. And one of the things that I learned at a very early age was when you're when you're a great public speaker, you talk to the audience as if it's one individual. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive. Life is full of paradoxes. This is one of them that talking to one is what enables you to effectively talk to many. And so personal branding is the same thing. It's basically a, a speech. It's just on a different platform over a different duration of time. And so how can you understand your audience? Who are they? What are they looking for? What are they trying to do, right? I was talking to potential SDRs who are looking for support as they navigate careers, uh, who are looking for insights and guidance as they began this journey. And so knowing that, I was able to just share with them where I was two, three years before that. And sometimes that's all personal branding is. It's just sharing with someone who's a step or two behind you. So that's one side of it. The other thing, and I'll, I'll go to the opposite end of the spectrum, just because it's it's really difficult for SDRs to think about this. It's like, how do I how do I have a personal brand? I just got here. I mean, what, what do I know? And the reality is, is you don't always have to be giving advice. Sometimes right. personal branding is curating. Sometimes personal branding is probing and asking great questions. It's giving platform for other leaders to come and answer questions. But I don't want to. I don't want to go on too long. I'd say this, Eric. What What have you seen in terms of great personal branding from SDR? I think SDRs that have thought through, as you said before, what is the outcome you're seeking, and then they've applied their own personal twist, spin. You know where they fit into the into the puzzle. Um, that's examples of of great personal brand. I should also take a quick step back and say this. As a marketer, lifelong, pretty much, um, <laughs> you know, post-journalism school, <clears throat> a brand is is a very ephemeral thing. I mean, it's a very kind of like conceptual thing. I, I almost tell people when thinking about branding, think about a, a, a mythical bucket. And then inside that bucket is all the associations that you have around a given topic, name, brand, or company. Um, those associations are very loose and they can be um, they can be very full. So for instance, if I were to, to cue you up and say, tell me everything you feel about the brand Apple, all of a sudden, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the, the old computers that I used to have and, and I'm dating myself badly, but like, you know, as a kid, you know, the Lisa, the Apple II, the, all of those things, all the way up to, you know, what, what's in most people's pockets these days. And then all the collection of figures and advertisements and, you know, ways that we've related to Apple and maybe it's stock price and it's valuation and all of that's branding. All of it is the associations that you would have around that given topic. And so back to the, the example that you're putting forward, since you turned the tables and asked me the question, I think of, we can think of a lot of ways to get into the bucket, get into people's minds, get into any of the associations they would likely make. And that's why my answer was around figuring out the puzzle piece for the direct interactions that you're going to be having and where you fit so that you can emphasize unique, authoritative, or authentic brand elements into that equation. 
That's great. This, and this is why I love asking questions on podcasts. I, uh, you'll have to forgive me. I'm, I'm rewatching my favorite TV show, House of Cards. And so I'll be okay. breaking the fourth wall every now and then in this conversation. But um, it, it speaks to a larger point that I've been getting at, uh, specifically around interviews, but it, it applies in a lot of different contexts. And that is uh, taking it from an interrogation to a conversation. Yeah. This is all one-sided and you're just asking me questions. It's helpful, but it's not as full and complex as it could be. And so a conversation is a two-way street, requires questions from both sides. And I just find that you get great perspective when you have two perspectives and opinions coming together to build something different than they would be on their own. Yeah, I, I love backing that up too. And I've said this on the podcast before, but I think it bears repeating, especially for the SDRs in the audience who might glean and really work this into their kind of mental outlook going forward. And that is this. I think the duality of the SDR job is darn near impossible. It's impossible in the sense that you're calling into people whose job you've likely never done. Like ever. <laughs> I get it all the time, right? Like again, when people are calling me as a CMO and love, love the question, what keeps you up at night? Like if you had the time, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Anyhow. It's impossible, and yet it also is rife with unfair advantages. For instance, if I'm an SDR, there's a really good chance that I'm going to talk to, say my company sells MarTech software, there's a really good chance that I'm going to talk to more CMOs than any one individual will talk to in a month and do that in a week, right? So like they'll be talking to my peers every single day. And that's this crazy unfair advantage in the information arbitrage that is part and parcel of doing one's job that I get to attach to or fit in like a puzzle piece into the role. And I think that those kinds of, if that context or perspective was embraced, I think SDRs would treat their job much differently from a conversational perspective as you assert. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I would say impossible and to, to folks who are answering the, the work or even like, just hear about what an SDR does is improbable. It's like, how? how? You make like how many calls a day? I love that. Um, I haven't called many people my in my life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to your point, I one of the things I want to get SDRs to understand, and this is whether I'm coaching the folks I manage or the folks that I work with on the side, or even the folks that I worked with at uh, the boot camps I was at. That is, what is the point of of your job as an SDR? And they hear they're in sales. And so they think of whatever comes to mind with quote unquote sales. It's a little misleading. Personally, I think that SDRing is the, the heart between marketing and sales. When you do it right, it is, is that handoff to the human, right? Marketing is the things that you see maybe on a billboard, on a website. The SDR is the first human you come in contact with. And then they introduce you to sales. So to that point, your job, is to build curiosity, intrigue, enthusiasm in the customer. Um, I tell my reps about Ida, awareness, interest, desire, and action. And a lot of reps, a lot of sellers, particularly in the, the front end of the sales process, they try and get people to action without understanding how to work through those first three layers. And so as an SDR, maybe those emails you sent that were never you know, responded to, but were open, that's awareness. Maybe that mm -hmm. one voicemail you left at the beginning of your cadence is awareness. And if you say something that speaks to, right, instead of just asking what keeps you up at night, you've talked to 100 CMOs this year, this quarter, 
So you say, I imagine X, Y, or Z might be keeping you up at night. Now you've only got awareness, but you've got interest. And it's, I imagine X, Y, or Z is keeping you up at night. How much time would it save you if we fixed X? Now you got desire. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Then you ask, I'd love to set a meeting with you if you're interested. Okay, so they're aware of who you are and your company exists. They're interested because you've said something that, you know, piques their curiosity and it says, oh, that, that's for me. They're speaking to me. That's not generic. Now you've got desire because there's a stated outcome that they're interested in, that they're looking for. And even, even better when they didn't even know it existed. I didn't, I didn't realize that that gets fixed that way. And then you can get to action. And it's easy because at that point, you're not begging them to take a meeting. You're not selling Starbucks gift cards. You're not doing any of that stuff. You're inviting them into a better place in their journey, the next step in their story. And so it's impossible, but it's also simple. And I think it was Einstein who was like, just beyond genius is simplicity. And so you think about, you know, what they built back in the day and how impossible and improbable that seemed. The end of the day, it's like, E equals MC squared, right? We're able to condense all these complicated things into something very simple and simple is powerful. So don't don't get too caught up in what's impossible. Get really focused on what's simple and what's powerful there. I think that that framework um, is such a great framework and a guiding hand, largely because it was created over a hundred years ago by a funny named dude named E. St. Elmo Lewis. And um, he used to work for National Cash Register and was kind of like the progenitor of modern advertising. Um, and I think what he understood about ADA was it's a mapping to the human brain and how the human brain makes decisions. And I thought you did a very nice job of kind of articulating action can never come before awareness, interest, and desire. Those three ingredients are always what goes into an action. You know, if I, if I don't, if I'm not interested, I'm never going to desire anything. If I'm not <laughs> like aware of something, I can't be interested in it. And so it's almost like um, whether it takes 20 seconds or two months, the ADA model still has kind of like a formulaic like pattern for how the human brain interprets stimulus. So I think falling into that methodology is a really wise one. It's something that I've learned as I've progressed in my sales career in particular. Um, it's so interesting because I knew this from politics. That was my, my major in college was political science and communication. And so it was interesting taking these concepts and applying them in a different way, but just the power of, uh, how do I put this, process, right? These frameworks. I used to try and reinvent the wheel at every turn as an SDR. I thought that if I could just constantly differentiate myself, then that would set me apart. And now I, I know that that's not everything. In fact, it can be nothing. It can, it can devastate you if you're, if you're continually trying to build things from scratch. And it took me building SDR teams and programs from scratch, creating playbooks. And it's like, oh, I can't just tell them, be Blake. <laughs> That's not going to work. And so I found that the, the process, the frameworks helps you run fast. If I told you, you know, it's a cross-country meet, go. Where? What direction? What's the destination? You just got me out here running in the field for no reason. Can I run backwards? But if I tell you, here's the path, here's the obstacles, here's the finish line, here's the different mile markers. Now you can sprint because there's no second guessing of where you're supposed to go left or right. And the key is not just getting good at making something new. The key is 
being great at what already works. So to SDRs, to SDR leaders in particular, if you're struggling with trying to reinvent the wheel, don't. It's, it doesn't have to be that hard. And on the flip side, and this is the one that really hits my heart, if you are constantly just focused on the process, the way that you've done it, but you're not really iterating, you're not trying to improve, you're just trying to like add more quantity, you're also missing the point. It's, it's more than numbers. You're working with humans and you're trying to put a human in a place to succeed. And so it's this unique mix of giving someone a process and a path to run on and then helping them run faster on that path. You know, it's funny because I, I often think a lot of leaders fall into that dangerous trap of more, um, you know, adding more quantity. <laughs> and it's funny too, if you have really low, like say conversion rates, um, doing more of that doesn't necessarily scale. You know what I mean? Do more of what's not working right. is actually wasting time. Yeah. And, and it seems as though, uh, some sales leaders, you know, I think a big part of it too is it's like this, um, they're insulated sometimes from failure. You yeah. can go to a place as a sales leader, fail, and then just pick up and start new somewhere else like it never even happened. Um, and so I think accountability is important there. But yeah, there's just this idea that like, this is the way it's been done. This is the way it's going to be done. And that's just, all due respect, it's a lazy way of leading. It doesn't mm -hmm. actually serve the people that you're trying to manage and support. That's a really interesting perspective. And I think we're actually probably going through that in the macroeconomic environment that we're in, right. we're in right now, especially if you look at venture backed or private equity backed, um, kind of like growth at all costs type of mantras um, yeah. that when the, when the music stops and everyone's looking for a profitability seat, um, mm -hmm. some people are falling on the ground. You got that right. It's the worst game of musical chairs you've ever played. <laughs> so, yeah, at any rate, that that might be another podcast in a few hours yeah. conversation on its own. Um, like this has been actually a really, really fun interview. I've, I've gotten a ton out of it. You have a number of, of kind of like initiatives, projects, if you will. I would love to give you the, the platform to um, to plug away. Oh, I, I appreciate that. And I've enjoyed it as well. Like I said, it's been really cool to take our unique perspectives and, and build something better than, you know, the sum of our parts. Um, yeah, I, I have a passion for people getting better, right? My, my specific passion is how can I help people get clear about their identity, practice, and purpose, who they are, what they're doing, and why. And that's what drives me in my day jobs, what drives me in my side hustle. I coach people for fun on weekends. Like that's, that's who I am in my core. And so I was really racking my brain to think, how can my, my content and my brand be more intentional? Because truth be told, I, I built the brand I have just by like saying good stuff, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> trying my best to like drop hints here and there. And believe it or not, it's taken me three years to, to really get to a point where I was like, oh, this is what I'm trying to do. And for this person, for this outcome. And so, you know, this story selling brand is something that allows me to get to the heart of, you know, self-development for sales development. But it also allows me to speak to some very unique 
human interaction. So job interviews are something that we can all relate to. And mm-hmm. it just so happens to be very timely. And so, as I mentioned before, help where you've hurt, that is where I wanted to be able to serve people first and foremost. And then from there, it's okay. So I've helped someone get the job. Now what? Well, in my experience, the next level for me as a leader, as a sales professional was building a personal brand, a reputation. Basically, it's just what people think about you when you aren't there to talk to them, right? And so what does the internet say you are and what you've done and what you're about? And you can be intentional about that. And it doesn't have to be sleazy. It doesn't have to be cheesy or contrived. Um, It's actually very easy to not be that. It's easier to not be one of those uh, stereotypical quote unquote thought leaders. Um, You just have to understand what you're doing. And then lastly, so you help them get the job. You've helped them brand themselves and perhaps get promoted. Now, how do you lead well? How do you actually serve and support people? And so story selling encompasses all of that, being able to help people look inward and have confidence in who they are and what they've done and what they've been through. And then being able to articulate that in a way that's going to actually persuade and influence other people for their benefit, not just for your own. And so we're all story selling at some point in our lives. And, uh, it's just something I've had a, a, a privilege to do in a variety of capacities. And now I have the opportunity to show people how to do it in this, uh, this niche, I guess you can say. Wait, well put. Truer words have not been spoken. Um, where, where should people get a hold of you if they want to connect on, on LinkedIn? You can find me on my profile. I'm, I'm trying to make it as easy and straightforward as possible. I don't need 12 different sites and sales funnels. Just look for Blake. You'll find all the stuff you need. If it's not there, then it's probably not important. I I love your LinkedIn URL, One Bright Blake. I mean, that just sums it all up right there. So I came up with that in college and then I just stuck with it. It's like one of those passwords, you know, it just, it just is what it is. I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> Be careful. I don't know if we have a hacker audience, but. That's not the password. Trust me, I'm not that, I'm not that dumb. Password one, two, three. Was it one, two, three password or password? <laughs> I love it. Capital P. Too funny. Blake, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Long time coming. Worth the wait. <laughs> good, good stuff.